Welcome back, everyone, to Breaking Apostolic Taboo, our series on grace for the afflicted. Um, This is section three, and this will be the only part in section three. Um, We are so close to being done. Um, So this, uh, this week, we're going over neurological disorders. And the first one we're going to go over is um, stricken in years, and this section is on dementia. And this is a quote uh, from King Lear, William Shakespeare. And to deal plainly, I fear I'm not in my perfect mind. Methinks I should know you and know this man, yet I am doubtful, for I am mainly ignorant what what place this is, and all the skill I have remembers not these garments, nor I know not where I did lodge last night. Dementia, also called a major neurocognitive disorder, is a general term used for the decline in cognitive functions and severe enough to interfere with daily life. Dementia is not a disease itself. Instead, it is a group of symptoms caused by other conditions that have damaged an individual's brain. Symptoms that signal the onset of dementia are usually subtle and may not be noticeable for a number of years. The characteristic symptoms of dementia include memory loss, communication difficulties, confusion, changes in mood, and apathy. Um, Usually, I don't go over each section that the characteristic symptoms has in this book, but today I feel like um, it would be very beneficial for us to go over this. <clears throat> so I'm going to start with memory loss. Um, memory loss and dementia is often subtle and tends to involve short-term memories. The individual may be able to remember years past, but not what they had for breakfast. Signs of memory loss may include forgetting where they left something, struggling to remember why they went into a particular room, or forgetting what they were supposed to do in any given day. Communication difficulties make it hard for an individual with dementia to carry out on normal conversations. They may struggle with vocabulary, have problems finding the right word, or call things by the wrong name. To try to overcome this problem, they can, they may talk around a word they cannot remember or substitute an inappropriate word, making their statements at times almost incomprehensible. Confusion usually first appears as problems with more complex tasks such as balancing the checkbook or paying, uh, playing games that have a lot of rules. Uh, learning how to do new things or following new routes be- uh, becomes more and more difficult. As the cognitive decline progresses, they may struggle to complete familiar tasks. Sometimes they may even forget where they are and how they got there. Changes in mood are common in dementia. Individuals can become suspicious, depressed, fearful, and anxious. They may show increased irritability and explosive outbursts of anger when their routine or schedule is disturbed. Sudden mood swings can occur regularly. For example, it is not uncommon for the individual with dementia to become friendly and affectionate within a few minutes of an angry outburst. Apathy is is frequently a problem in individuals with dementia. In the early stages, they begin to lose interest in hobbies or activities they once considered pleasurable. They may not want to go out anymore or to do anything fun. Emotionally, they may appear flat and have no interest in spending time with friends or family.
While there is presently no cure for the disease that causes the neurodegenerative dementia, uh, dementias, hopefully I said that right, a number of treatments and interventions have been shown to slow or minimize the development of symptoms. These are pharmacotherapy, which is a medication boost, I believe, um, cognitive stimulation therapy, and palliative care. If you have family members that are struggling with the, any of these problems you've listened to over the past few weeks, um, I really would suggest that you go pick up this book off of Amazon, Grace for the Afflicted, A Clinical and Biblical Perspective on Mental Illness by Matthew S. Stanford. It really has <clears throat> such great information. And I skip over some of it just for time's sake because I do go over so many chapters in one episode. I don't want to give you every single little bitty detail. So I just wanted to plug that real fast. I really would suggest you go get this book. It's a blessing. This book has been a blessing. With an average life expectancy of 78.8 years, 81.2 years for women, 76.4 years for men, in the United States today, it is common to encounter the elderly in daily life. This was not the case in ancient times. Based on age reports in the biblical text, the average life expectancy of kings in biblical times was only in the mid-40s. In comparison, the common peasant male had to survive under harsher conditions than those enjoyed by royalty and had a life expectancy of less than 30 years. Life expectancy was even shorter for peasant women of the time who, in addition to living with poverty, diseases, and violence, had to survive multiple pregnancies and deliveries. Despite the short life, short life expectancy of biblical times, old age is common is a common theme throughout the scriptures. Advanced age is considered a blessing of God in Exodus 23:26, Proverbs 10:27, and 16 through 31. Wisdom is attributed to the aged in Deuteronomy 32:7, 1 Kings 12:6, and Job 12:12 12, 12, and Job 32:7. And the young are called to honor, respect, and care for the elderly in Exodus 20.12 and Leviticus 19.32 and 1 Timothy 5, uh, 1-4. While the biblical writers correctly recognize old age as a period of physical deterioration, Genesis 18.11, 1 Kings 1.1, Psalms 71.9, and Psalms 102.26, only a few references are made to the mental decline that can occur with advanced age in Job 12.20 and Zachariah or Sriracha (laughs) I always call this uh, book Sriracha 3.12-13 in 2 Samuel we are introduced to the elderly Barzali I probably said that wrong but we all know I never pronounce anything right it's okay during the coup led by his son Absalom King David fled with the those loyal to him across the Jordan River to Mahanium Barlazalia. Once Absalom was killed in the rebellion crush, Barzalia is called before the king to be rewarded for his loyalty. David asked Barzalia to return to Jerusalem with him to live out the remainder of his life in the palace in 2 Samuel 1933. Barzalia, who was 80, declined David's offer citing his age and the fact that he was no longer able to distinguish between good and bad, 2 Samuel 1935. 
Some have interpreted this as Brazalia refusing an appointment as a counselor to King David's court due to an age-related cognitive decline. It's also possible that he was simply saying he was too old to enjoy the amenities of living in the palace, given that he also mentions that he had lost his sense of taste and could not hear well. Solomon, the son of King David and Bathsheba, succeeded his father to the throne and ruled Israel for 40 years. While it is never explicitly stated in the Bible how long Solomon lived, it appears he was in his 60s when he died. In the latter years of Solomon's life, the scriptures tell us that many foreign wives that he had taken turned his heart away from other gods. 1 Kings 11.4 The first century Roman Jewish historian Titus um, expands on this event by stating that for King Solomon, as he grew into years and his reason became weaker by length of time, it was not sufficient to recall to his mind the institutions of his own country. This is a clear reference to mental decline, specifically memory problems. Due to the advanced age, if King Solomon was suffering from dementia and unable to remember the tenets of the Jewish faith, as Josephus implies, it may help explain how he was so easily influenced by his pagan wives to become involved in idolatry toward the end of his life. The scriptures are clear, those advanced in age, over six years, are to be honored and cared for by the church. Their presence within the fellowship is both a reminder of our faith heritage as well as the opportunity for wisdom and experience to be passed on to the next generation. In the face of dementia, the elderly are to be cared for. And as we learn from the tragic story of King Solomon, protected from those that might take advantage of them. We're going to move on to chapter 12, which is struck down by violence, the cerebral vascular accidents. Uh, Kirk Douglas says, no matter how bad things are, they can always be worse. So what if my stroke left me with a speech impediment? Moses had one and he did all right. Cerebral vascular accidents or strokes occur when the blood flow to a part of the brain is stopped, either by a blockage or the rupture of a blood vessel. In both cases, part of the brain is deprived of blood and oxygen, causing the brain cells to die. Stroke is often referred to as brain attack to denote the fact that it is caused by a lack of blood supply to the brain, very much like a heart attack is caused by a lack of blood supply to the heart. Asmeic strokes account for about 87% of all strokes. Asmeic stroke can occur in two ways. An, an embolic stroke, a blood clot, or a plaque fragment forms somewhere in the body, usually the heart, and travels to the brain. Once in the brain, the clot travels to the blood vessel small enough to block its passage. The clot lodges there, blocking the blood vessel and causing a stroke. A thrombotic stroke is caused by a blood clot that forms inside one of the arteries supplying blood to the brain. These type of strokes is usually seen in people with high cholesterol and areo... I'm probably going to say this word wrong. You know, I'm always bad at saying some of these fancy words. Atherosilis. <laughs> okay, I probably said that wrong. A transient asthenic attack. Wow, these are some big old words. Like an asthmatic attack stroke is caused by the blockage of blood vessels. And the difference between an asthmatic stroke and a TIA is that with a TIA, the blockage is temporarily is temporary. TIA symptoms occur rapidly and last rel a relatively short time. Most TIAs last less than five minutes. The average is about a minute. 
When a TIA is over, it usually causes no permanent injury to the brain. This, however, is a serious stroke warning that should not be ignored. Hemorrhagic strokes are less common than asthmatic strokes, but they are the res- they are responsible for about 40% of all stroke deaths. The most common type of hemorrhagic stroke happens when a blood vessel inside the brain bursts and leaks blood into the surrounding brain tissue. A sub subarachnoid hemorrhage probably said that wrong too involves bleeding in the area between the brain and the tissues covering the brain which is known as the suburnatic space i don't know if i said that right either oh well the symptoms of the stroke usually occur suddenly but can develop over hours common stroke symptoms include weakness or loss of movement in the face arm or leg especially only one side of the body trouble speaking vision changes confusion or trouble understanding simple statements problems with water Walking or balance and a sudden severe headache that is different from past headaches. Persons with hemorrhagic strokes are more likely to have associated headaches and convulsions, while speech and sensory difficulties are more common with asthmatic strokes. The ancient Israelites recognized the most common symptoms of stroke weakness or paralysis on one side of the body and difficulty or an inability to speak much like other ancient peoples of the day they believed strokes were the result of the divine punishment this can be seen in several scriptures including psalms 137 5 through 6 in which the author wishes a stroke upon an israelite during the babylonian exile that forgets jerusalem god causes the prophet ezekiel to be mute as a sign of his uh, displeasure toward the rebellious Jewish people in Ezekiel 3.26. The prophet Zechariah is told by God to to portray two shepherds, Israel's true Messianic shepherd Christ and the false worthless shepherd Antichrist. As a sign to the people, God cursed the worthless shepherd with the withered right arm and a blind right eye in Zechariah 11.17. Describing the consequences of the unrighteous life in the ap- apocryphal book, probably said that wrong, <laughs> Wisdom of so- uh, Solomon, the author says that God will dash them speechless to the ground and shake them from the foundations. Wisdom of Solomon 419, which is an RSV. I don't know what that is, but um, I've never heard of that one before. In addition to those, uh, these beliefs, scriptural reference to stroke symptoms the CVA or the five individuals are described in some detail. Nabal was a wealthy sheep rancher from Mayon, a small town in the Judea Hill country south of the Dead Sea. He is described as being a slurry and mean man married to a beautiful woman named Abigail in 1 Samuel 25.3. David and his rebel army had provided protection for Nabal's shepherds in the past. While fleeing from Saul, low on supplies, David sent Amerasize to Nabal requesting provision. Nabal refused the request and insulted David. Angered, David prepared his army to attack Nabal's clan. Without informing Nabal, Abigail interceded with David and begged him for forgiveness and claimed that the situation saving her family. The next day, after a heavy night of drinking, Nabal was told by Alia how close he had been to death. The scripture tells us that upon hearing the news, his heart died within him and he became a stone. Ten days later, he died. This seems to be the description of a coma resulting from a stroke. The presence of heavy drinking suggests that Nabal may have had an acute alcohol cardiac arrhythmia, leading to the 
cardiobiotic brain stem stroke consistent with the common view of the day. David believed that navel stroke was the result of divine judgment in 1 Samuel 25:39. The Shamanite boy, as he traveled between Israel's religious centers and Gilgal, I'll be saying that wrong. I don't know why. Gilgal and Bethel in the south of Mount Carmel and the north, the prophet Elijah often passed through the small town of Shunema or Shunem. Shunem. A wealthy woman of the town frequently provided food and shelter to Elijah and his servant whenever they visited. At some point, she and her husband even built a special guest room onto their home specifically for the prophet in 2 Kings 4 8 through 10. Elijah was grateful for the woman's hospitality and wished to show his thanks, recognizing that she did not have a son. He interceded on her behalf before the Lord, and a year later she held a miracle child in her arms. Years passed, and the boy grew healthy and strong under the watchful eye of his mother and father. During the harvest season of the fifth year, the child went into the fields with his father. As the harvest was being gathered, the small child suddenly cried out to his father, My head, my head, and collapsed to the ground. The servants quickly carried the unconscious boy back to his mother, who anxiously held the unresponsive child for several hours. At midday, the boy died in his mother's arms in 2 Kings 4, 19-20. Calmly, she carried her son's body to the guest room built for Elijah and laid him on the bed. Without telling him the tragic news, she called to her husband that she was going to visit the prophet and to have the servant prepare a donkey. The grieving mother and her servant quickly covered the 15 the 50 miles to Mount Carmel, and when she found Elijah, she fell at his feet. After she explained the circumstances surrounding the death of her son, Elijah ordered Giaza to take his staff, the symbol of the, his prophetic office, and quickly return to Shunem, or Shunem to try to revive the boy. I'm always bad at these words, you know? Giaza left immediately, but the heartbroken mother was not satisfied with this response. She begged the prophet himself to accompany her back, and Elijah agreed. Hours passed as they traveled, and as Shuna came into view on the horizon, Gaza met with the with discouraging news. He had been unable to revive the boy using the prophet's staff. When they arrived at the house, Elijah went into the guest room alone and closed the door. The prophet stretched himself across the boy's body and began to intercede on his behalf before the Lord. As he prayed, the boy's body grew warm, but he did not awaken. Hours passed, and Elijah continued to cry out to God that the boy might be revived. As Elijah lay over him praying, the boy suddenly sneezed and opened his eyes. Elijah called for the boy's mother, and when she entered the room and saw her son alive, overwhelmed by gratitude and joy, she fell at the prophet's feet. Because of the boy's age, sudden onset, an intense headache, and the subsequent loss of consciousness, it is possible that he suffered a subarachnoid hemorrhage due to an uh, arterious malformation. Alchemist served as a high priest of Israel for three years. A political and military opponent opponent of the Jewish rebel leaders, Judas Maccabus, I probably said that wrong. Alchemist was appointed high priest by the Syrian bunch of fancy words and maintained his office through uh, through force. Alchemist was 
dedicated to the spread of the Greek culture within Israel and the pre-section uh, of those faithful to the Hebrew law. Alchemist gave orders to tear down the wall of the temple that divided the court of the Gentiles from the Israelites. He was unable to complete the act because he was stricken. His mouth was stopped and he was paralyzed. He suffered for several days before finally dying. Given the symptoms described, it appears that Alchemist suffered a left hemisphere cerebral vascular hemorrhage. Zacharias was an elderly priest who served in the temple during the reign of Herod the Great. While performing his present, uh, priestly duties, offering incense before the altar, he was visited by the archangel Gabriel. The angel informed him that he and his wife, Elizabeth, would soon have a child and that the boy should be named John. Zacharias did not believe Gabriel due to the couple's age and punishment uh, Punishment was struck dumb, not able to speak until the child was born in Luke one twenty. The scriptures also tell us that Zacharias was unable to understand spoken language. His friends and relatives had to make hand gestures to ask him what he wanted to name his son in Luke one sixty two. As previously mentioned, Ephesus and inability to produce and comprehend spoken language is a common symptom of a left middle cerebral artery stroke. Zacharias's stroke seems to have been supernaturally healed due to the fact that immediately upon writing the name John on a tablet, he was able to speak again, Luke 1.64. Consistent with the prevailing view of the day, four of the five CVA examples from the biblical text describe divine punishment, the sinful behavior in Abel, and Zacharias resulted in God allowing each to be afflicted by a stroke. Two recovered, two did not. The CVA of the Shemai boy, however, was not a divine punishment, but appears to have result from a cognitive vascular abnormality. I believe the lesson here is the, that afflictions with a spiritual cause are similar, possibly identical, in presentation to physical illnesses, that they are difficult, if not impossible, to tell apart. Rather than be concerned about the cause, of the suffering, it is more important for us to recognize that the illness and disorder always affects the person's whole being, physically, mental, and spiritual, and relational. The point of the origin for the affliction is not what should determine our response. Our call is the same in all cases, to relieve suffering and reveal Christ. We're in the last chapter for today, which is the Golden Bull Traumatic Brain Injury. Bennett Omal, MD, says... Repetitive head trauma chokes the brain. It turns you into someone else. Traumatic brain injury, TBI, is an insult to the brain caused by some external physical force. TBIs most often result from a fall or a blow to the head that does not penetrate the skull, a closed head injury. This type of injury may cause bruising or swelling of the brain's tissues. An object that penetrates the skull, such as a bullet, causes an open head injury. This type of TBI is more serious and often involves fractures of the skull and significant bleeding within the brain itself. The Glasgow Coma Scale, GCS, is the most common measure used to gauge the severity of a TBI. 
The GCS is a reliable and objective way of assessing the initial and subsequent level of consciousness in a person following a brain injury. It is used by trained first responders at the scene of an accident, as well as by physicians and nurses during the post-injury recovery period. The GCS is used to rate the injured individual's best eye-opening response, four spontaneous, three to voice, two to pay, and one to no response. Best verbal response, five normal conversation, four disoriented conversation, three words but not coherent, two no words but only sounds, and one no response. And the best motor response, six normal, five localized to pain, four withdrawal to pain, and three uh decorative posture and two uh i'm gonna say this word wrong decerebrate posture and one equals no response that an individual can make at a given time following the injury the gcs score is the sum of the eye verbal and motor response numbers the severity of the tbi is classified according to the following gcs cutoff scores severe three to eight moderate nine to twelve and mild thirteen to fifteen Common symptoms of a mild TBI include headaches, nausea, dizziness, difficulty tolerating bright lights, fatigue, visual disturbances, memory loss, poor attention and concentration, sleep disturbances, and irritability. Moderate to severe TBI can include any of the symptoms of the mild TBI as well as the following repeated vomiting or nausea seizures dilation of one or both pupils of the eye, clear fluids draining from the nose and ears, inability to awaken from sleep, weakness or numbness in the fingers and toes, loss of coordination, profound confusion, agitation, combativeness, or other unusual behaviors, slurred speech, and a coma. While the ancient Hebrews did not have an accurate scientific understanding of the functions of the brain, they certainly understood its importance to life and that damage to it brought serious consequences and often death. This connection between the brain and life is beautifully described by Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Using poetic language, Solomon refers to the skull as a golden bowl and the spinal cord as the silver cord in Ecclesiastes 12.6. This language is used metaphorically to compare the bowl of the lamp that holds oil and the cord that suspends it from the ceiling to illuminate a darkened room with the skull that co uh, contains the brain and the spinal cord that connects the it to the body and through which the light of life shines. Four di uh, detailed examples of TBI are reported in the scriptures. Caesarea, a Canaanite general during the time of the judges, Caesarea led the army of King ja uh, Jabin against the Israelites. Deborah and Barak were called by God to oppose him. God delivered Jabin's uh, army into the hands of the Israelites and Caesarea had to flee the battlefield. He chose to hide from the Israelites in the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, a family he believed to be his ally. After Caesarea fell asleep, Jael made her alliance to the Israelites clear by using a hammer to drive a tent peg through the general's temple and into the ground below him in Judges 4, 17 through 22, 5, 26 through 27. Caesarea sustained several perforating brain injury and died quickly. I'm probably going to say this word or this name wrong. Ablamek was the son of Gideon, a judge who delivered the Israelites from the Midianites. After the death of his father, Abimelech killed his 70 brothers and made himself king of Israel. 
Three years into his illegitimate reign, the leaders of Shemek rebelled against him and attempted to put down the uprising by force. After taking control of Shemek, Ablamek and his army attacked the town of Thebes. (laughs) During the battle, a a woman threw a a millstone from the top of the tower, striking Ablamek in the head. The scripture tells us that the blow crushed his skull in Judges 9.53. Realizing that the wound was mortal, Ablamek ordered his armor bearer to thrust him into the thrust him through with the sword so that it might not be said he had been killed by a woman. The armor bearer did as the king had requested. Elamek sustained a moderate to severe penetrating brain injury from which he would most uh he likely uh most or did not recover. Goliath was the legendary Philistine giant who challenged the Israelites army led by King Saul. When none of the Israelite warriors nor King Saul were willing to fight the Philistine champion, the young shepherd boy David volunteered. Taking the sling and five smooth stones, the boy engaged the Philistine warrior in the valley of Elah. David's first stone struck the giant in the forehead, knocking him unconscious. The scripture tells us that the stone sank into his forehead in 1 Samuel 17, 49. While the Jewish historian Josephus says that it sank deeply into his brain. Both of these descriptions suggest a depressed skull fracture. While Goliath was unconscious, David took the giant's sword and cut off his head. It appears that Goliath sustained a moderate penetrating brain injury from which he likely would have recovered. And there is one last story, but I'm not going to include it just for the sake of the length of the episode. And I'll leave here today with the final thought. Most of the biblical descriptions of the TBI offer a little more than the opportunity to see the consequences of evil. Syria, Eplamech, and Goliath were wicked men who attacked God's chosen people and were punished for their actions. Their stories are reported to us both as a warning against sin to remind us the sovereignty of God. The story of Etchus, however, is different, and I believe that there is a, pro- a profound lesson the church can learn from the description of the brain injury. When Etchus fell from the window, it is clear that Paul stopped teaching and went to the unconscious young man in Acts 20.10. In fact, from the text, it appears that the entire group took a break to eat a meal and confront their family, uh, confront the family of Echus. I probably said that wrong too. While he recovered in Acts 20.11-12, Paul and these early Christians understood that the most important thing to the heart of God at, the mo- at that moment was Echus and his family. Brain disorders are a messy thing. They don't fit well in our rigid and highly structured churches. Far too often, we choose ritual and tradition over broken people and families. The story of Exodus teaches us that in God's economy, people are most important. I pray that the families of the individuals struggling with brain disorders will leave our churches the same way that the Exodus family left that home in Taurus centuries ago, greatly comforted in Acts 20 and 12. So that is all we have for today. We are very close to being done. I believe we actually have, let's see, we have one more week of this uh, lesson series. So I am super excited to wrap this up next time. And thank you for listening. 
and I am Bailey Romans, and let's start talking.